Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host Deadhead shares with you eight scary stories about the moment just before, after, and during death. Now please, forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Through those double doors and down the stairs into the morgue, your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... testy. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tonight, I've prepared for you eight stories inspired by the moments just before, during, and after death. Our first tale comes from a little boy who gets to finally meet his favorite superhero. I call this one, Death is a Dream. When I was a kid, I constantly fantasized about teaming up with superheroes and defeating Earth's worst villains. One day, it actually happened. My parents needed a vacation, and it didn't include me or my brother, so we got stuck at Uncle Jeff's house. Everyone knew Jeff had a temper, but even at eight years old, I was familiar with the routine. Take a stack of comics and only leave my room for snacks and bathroom breaks. When our parents dumped us at Uncle Jeff's, I took off from my room, and my brother snuck out to meet some friends. My brother was twice my age and the closest thing I knew to a real-life superhero. He was strong, confident, and cool. I wish he'd let me hang out with him, but he never did. I most likely wouldn't see him the whole weekend. I really didn't mind too much because I just bought a new Torbjorn comic and was dying to read it. I had almost finished the story when Uncle Jeff shouted for me to come for lunch. I wasn't hungry, but I wasn't going to argue with Uncle Jeff either. I sat at the table and stared at the meal. It was a can of cat food on a plate. I searched Jeff's face to see if he was joking. He wasn't. His eyes burned into mine. I could tell he was waiting for an excuse to explode. I grabbed my fork and tried to eat it, but I couldn't. I gagged on the turkey and giblets and threw it up onto the plate. I looked at my uncle, ashamed and trying not to cry. Don't make me sick! He yelled and threw my plate against the wall. Everything in you is contaminated, and now you've contaminated my wall. Uncle Jeff shot to his feet and marched into the kitchen. I knew things were only going to get worse for me. I ran into the bedroom and locked the door. 
I could hear Uncle Jeff rummaging in the kitchen and I tried to block it out by finishing my Torbjorn comic book. At this point in the story, Torbjorn's mighty hammer had been stolen by an evil troll and Torbjorn was left powerless. Then, Uncle Jeff beat my door with his fist. I'm not cleaning that filth up, he shouted. It's your contamination. My heart was racing. I didn't, didn't know what to do, so I kept reading. I know what you're doing in there, Jeff teased, then grew quiet. My door suddenly splintered. I dove under my bed and hid with my comic. Before I could turn to the next page, my crazy uncle had hacked through the bedroom door. He stood there holding a fire poker in one hand and cleaning supplies in the other. Do not contaminate this room too, Uncle Jeff shrieked. His voice was cracked and skittish. He must have seen my hiding spot because he made a line of bleach powder around the bed. The entire time he was talking to himself in gibberish. Clean the contamination was the only phrase he said that made any sense. Then he got up and left. Screw the comic. I knew now was my chance to get out safely. My plan was to climb through the window and find my brother. I didn't care how long I had to search. I was going to find him and never leave his side. I made it to the window, almost got it open, then Uncle Jeff grabbed me. He threw me to the ground and sat on my chest. He had left to get the cat food and held it in front of my face. It's okay, Sam, he told me. We just need to clean the contamination. He dumped the bleach powder into the cat food and stirred it with a fork. Say, ah, he sung to me. I refused, but he pinched my nose and shoved the fork in. The bleach stung my mouth and the powder made it impossible to swallow even if I wanted to. He sat hard on my chest and my mouth sprung open. He dumped the bleach in and said, if you don't swallow, I'll have to open you up direct. That's when the bedroom door slowly squeaked open. My uncle didn't hear it, but I looked and saw the galaxy's most powerful creature, half bear and half god, Torbjorn. And best of all, he found his hammer. The next thing I remember is waking up on a gurney getting wheeled out into the ambulance. I searched for Torbjorn, but he must have returned to his planet. The only person I recognized was my brother, sitting on the curb, holding a bloody fire poker. The mind is a powerful thing and has many mechanisms to help us cope with the horrors of life. How will your mind cope with our first break? Pay attention and tell me all about it when we come back. Keeping it together, cadavers? Just barely, I see. Well, that's good. Now you know exactly how our next guest is feeling. He's a cop who can't seem to put the pieces together in a story called Fell Asleep While Driving. In my 20 years as a police officer, I could honestly say I've seen it all. Then, there was the crash. It started out as a routine traffic patrol with my partner Mackenzie when they radioed us about a vehicle collision a block away. This is nothing out of the ordinary. We deal with this type of incident at least once a week. 
Arriving at the scene, it didn't take very long to know this was no average crash. We'd seen violent accidents in the middle of a busy street before. What we hadn't seen was one of the injured drivers strapped in his car and laughing hysterically. As I approached, he turned to me, and with his face covered in blood, he continued this disturbing laughter. I signaled to Mackenzie to check on the other driver and address that laughing man. Sir, are you hurt? I can see that you're bleeding, but this just made him laugh even harder. I ordered him, sir, please step out of the vehicle so I can take a look at you. But still, more laughter. At this point, Mackenzie rushed back to me and told me that he couldn't find the driver in the other car that had been T-boned. This was interesting. That car was smashed into a paperweight. No one walks away from that. They were probably ejected, I told him. The ambulance was on the way, and I took a look for myself at the other car while Mackenzie stayed with that laughing man. When I looked closer, I noticed something incredibly odd. The driver's seatbelt in the smashed car was fastened, latched into the buckle as if whoever was in the car simply disappeared. At that moment, I'll admit, I began to feel extremely uneasy, and I couldn't find a logical explanation for any of this. I went over to Mackenzie, and he told me that the the laughing man said he couldn't see anyone driving that car that he smashed into. Aha. It all made sense. Whoever was driving the other car must have bailed, and allowed it to run down the road unoccupied where this man crashed into it. In shock, he, he laughed as a coping mechanism. That's the simplest and easiest explanation I can think of. But then a witness came rushing towards us, and she said she had seen the whole incident. There was a woman behind the wheel of the car when the accident took place. And after impact, that woman vanished. I asked the witness to describe what the woman looked like. She told me that this woman didn't look like any ordinary woman. Her hair was a mess, like a bird's nest. She had glasses on, and they were just too big for her, and she was wearing a big blue coat. And just when I thought things couldn't get any more confusing, I turned around and Mackenzie told me the laughing man had disappeared. What do you mean he disappeared, I asked. I looked away for a second and he was gone, said Mackenzie. And this made me really angry. How could he let a hysterical man covered in blood out of his sight? By this point, I felt like I lost complete control of the situation. And I knew this was going to be the most embarrassing day of my life when word gets out of the station. I was going to get more than an earful. And suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I see the laughing man just a couple feet away. And he wasn't alone. He was with the woman with the blue coat and glasses. Thank God, at least, something tangible. I headed over there and demanded an answer for what happened. Both of them just looked at me and laughed right in my face. (laughs) I was like, this is a problem for the ambulance. I turned the signal to one of the medics to tend to the victims. I told the medic, could you check these two for intoxication? And he just gave me a look. When I turned back to the victims, they were both gone. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash adfreetruecrime. That's amazon.com slash adfreetruecrime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
come easy go. And look out, because here comes our next break. But don't fret. Deadhead will be waiting for you on the other side. Welcome to the other side, cadavers. Our next story is about just that. And I call it Surgery Gone Wrong. going in for my fifth plastic surgery. Five before 35, I'd joke. My husband would tease that I'd have 50 before I turned 45, that I could get exactly what I wanted and then want something else. I'd never be content. Hey, my looks got you, I'd counter. Stephen was a CEO to a major oil company and 27 years my senior. You and I could debate marrying for love or money, but we could both agree. This makeover was one I should have skipped. I remember lying on the operating table as the surgeon was putting me under. I started counting backwards as the rhythmic life monitoring beeps lulled me to sleep. The next thing I knew, I was waking up alone on a long, endless stretch of grass. It was so real, I first thought I had fallen asleep on our front lawn. But reality hit. I had no idea where I was or how I got there. All I knew was I was very far away from home. I sat up and saw a place I'd never seen before. The sky was purple with thick fog in the air continuing as far as my sight could see. Then, through the fog, I noticed I wasn't alone. There were many people around with their backs turned. But these weren't normal people. They looked unwell and weren't moving. I thought to myself, this must be a dream. But it felt too real. I needed answers, so I rushed to the closest person, a woman with long black hair. I tapped her on the shoulder, but she didn't move. I tried to speak to her, but she didn't reply. So I moved around to try to see her face, but I was only seeing more of her back. I got spooked, and I ran to the next person I could see. The same thing happened. And the same with the next and the next. I didn't know what else to do at this point. I felt so helpless, like a child, scared and lost in some kind of twisted circus. My world began to spin, and I crumbled and cried to wake up. I heard a voice. Hi, my name is Paige. I looked up from my place on the grass to find... a woman. Eyes pitch black. Her face... melting off. She asked me what was wrong, and I told her everything. Once I finished, she stayed quiet a moment. Her eyes drained like a tear into her mouth. Then she said, Learn to love the afterlife. You'll be better off. The afterlife? I asked myself. Was I dead? She grinned, her lips down by her neck, and told me that the other side of the grass was a sunny, magical place which had any and everything you could imagine. Much better than here, she added. I must say, if this was a dream, it was the most strange, lifelike dream I ever had. Paige pointed me in the direction of the place she was talking about. At that point, Paige had become just another back with long black hair. Without a word, I ran for where she pointed. Sure, I would wake up in the hospital at any moment with a new, better face. But I didn't wake up. I ran for miles and miles through the thick fog, passing the backs of the faceless. Finally, in the distance, I saw the place Paige told me about. 
It was incredible. People full of life and color, eating, drinking, playing, laughing. The land had a glowing, vibrant aura surrounding it. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is where I wanted to be forever. I sprinted toward it. As I approached, the people inside began to melt. At the entrance to the grounds, an older man stopped me. He looked alive, mostly. I asked if I could enter. He smiled, took my hand, and said, No. He pointed down the eternal field and told me that on the other side of the grass was a sunny, magical place, which had any and everything you could imagine, just before he became a faceless back. Seems to me she'll be doing in death what she did in life. Chase the unobtainable. Lucky for us cadavers. Our next story is obtainable. Right after this break. Tell me, what do you get when you cross a madman with a tree in the park? Why you get our next story. A wise old tree. Over the summer holidays, I had put on a lot of weight, and I knew I had to start exercising again. I hated crowds, so my mother suggested I walk more. She was trying to be helpful. Trying. There was a park just down the street from where I lived, and I decided I'd start taking walks there before bed. Luckily, I knew the park was well lit, so I wasn't too worried. About ten minutes into my walk, I noticed a man in a raincoat sitting on a bench. As I passed him, he watched me and said, Turn back now, in a thick, strange accent. He looked quite off and may have been on drugs, so I pretended not to hear him and kept walking. It was a lovely night, peaceful, warm. Not a sound except for my feet crunching on the gravel path. I was in the center of the park when I heard a rattle in the bushes. Then suddenly, the man in the raincoat jumped out behind me. This time, he was holding an axe, and he screamed at me, I told you to not walk down this path! I didn't know what to do, so I started running for my life. I looked back, and the man was coming for me, holding the axe over his head, screaming at me. I thought I was going to die. As I continued running, I stumbled upon a large oak tree. What's the matter? The tree asked. I realized I was losing my mind. I felt faint. I told him that there was a crazy man chasing me with an axe. The tree said he knew of this man and would protect me. The tree then scooped me up with its limbs and used its branches to shield me. My mind may have snapped, but I felt safe and that's all I cared about. The crazy stranger came rushing up with his axe. He hacked into the branches trying to get at me. He broke through and I fell hard to the pavement. I picked myself up and just before he could swing again, I tackled the man to the ground. He dropped his axe and then the wise old tree extended his branch, picking up the stranger and sticking him inside his trunk. I thanked the wise old tree for saving my life. He was very kind and gracious. I wanted to shake his branch for saving me. When I did, he scooped me up and said, 
There's nothing to thank me for. In fact, that man with the axe was trying to save you. He opened his trunk and I saw dozens of bodies stuck inside him. He said, Now it's your turn. Hmm. That unfortunate fitness fiend went barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> what other surprises does Mother Nature have in store for us tonight? Come back after the break and find out. Why is it that danger and beauty go hand in hand? That the more beautiful something is, the more dangerous it becomes, and vice versa. Our next story examines just how dangerous beauty can be, and how contagious, too. I call this one Midnight in the Garden. Most people agree that, between my sister and I, I'm the more attractive of the two. That's why some were surprised to learn that Daisy was getting married first. It didn't bother me. I was really happy for her. She found the perfect guy for someone like her. It was the day before Daisy's wedding and all the girls got together for tea in our friend Sophie's garden. As we chatted about the big day, I couldn't help but notice in one of the thorny bushes the most beautiful red rose. It would look perfect with my wedding outfit. When it was time to go, I asked Sophie if I could pick the rose I had seen. She said, if it's that important to you, but be extremely careful, the thorns can hurt you. I didn't think too much of it, and as the party trickled out, I went to grab the rose. I noticed the sharp thorns that surrounded the beautiful rose. While I did my best to avoid them, one of the little spikes nipped my thumb. The cut was so thin, I didn't think anything of it. I said goodbye to the girls and headed home. In the car, I noticed my thumb had changed colors to an odd grayish green. Could Sophie's warning really have meant something? I didn't want to take any chances, especially the day before my sister's wedding, and so I called the doctor to make an appointment. Dr. Richard saw me that same day and was unimpressed at the severity of my condition. He wasn't even wearing gloves when he inspected my thumb. He chuckled and said it was an allergic reaction, so he covered it with a band-aid and sent me off. I felt so dumb making an appointment for a discolored thumb. Later that night, as I prepared to go to sleep, I noticed in the mirror that the discoloration was also on my neck. I panicked and ripped off all my clothes. The green tinge had spread over my entire body. I quickly picked up the phone to call Dr. Richard's home number. His wife answered, told me that he was rushed to the ICU. Then she hung up. I was convinced I had infected Dr. Richard. I dressed as fast as I could, determined to admit myself to the hospital. But as soon as I got to the front door, it hit me. If I went to the hospital, just like he did, they would keep me there for a couple days and I'd miss my only sister's wedding. I couldn't do that to her. And I'd already spent so much on that bridesmaid's dress. Instead, I decided to weather it just one more day and so I spent the entire night covering my skin with makeup. Surprisingly, I did a good job of concealing it all. Once I had my dress on and added the red rose, I have to say, I looked great. You couldn't see any difference. 
The doorbell started to ring and I looked outside, only just realizing it was already morning and my sister and her bridesmaids were downstairs. I put on a smile and opened the door. My sister greeted me with a big hug and kiss. Even though I had just gone through the worst night of my life, I was still happy my only sister was getting married. We broke our embrace and that's when I noticed that her face had turned that dead grayish green color. Is anyone else green with envy? Or maybe just green around the gills? <laughs> Take a break and sort yourself out. When we come back, I'll have another tale for you. For centuries, humans have pondered the powers of dreams. In our next story, it's a young woman's turn to decide if her dream was just random thoughts or something more. Here is Propeller. I knew I had met the love of my life. His name was Hugh. He was perfect in every way, shape, and form. He was definitely the one. But there was one tiny little hiccup. He was an adventurer, a thrill seeker, and I was terrified of heights. Of course, when his 30th birthday came around, he wanted to do something extreme. He begged me to take a helicopter ride with him and jump out 12,500 feet in the air. But really, what could I say to the man of my dreams? I said yes. Unfortunately, no was the correct answer. Ever since we organized the skydive, I dreaded it. Every moment of every day, it was on my mind. I kept asking myself, why did I agree to this? Was it too late to back out? What the hell was I thinking? But I knew the answer. The reason I agreed was because I loved him and made a promise. I wasn't going to break it. The night before the skydive, I had a terrible dream. The next morning, I was sick with worry. Hugh picked me up and could tell right away that I didn't feel good about it. I told him about the dream and the horrible feeling that something bad was going to happen. It's just the nerves, you'll be fine, he assured me. It was strange, but I believed him. And because I did, the bad feeling went away. Even at 12,500 feet in the air, minutes away from jumping out, I didn't feel any nerves. Hugh's words, you'll be fine, really made all the difference. I trusted him. When it was time for me to jump, the instructor and I walked over to the edge of the helicopter. The buildings looked like Legos and the people were ants. As the nerves started up again, I turned to Hugh, who looked at me with his proud, loving eyes, and mouthed the words, You'll be fine, followed by, I love you. I said, I love you too, right before jumping out of that helicopter. I'll never forget that feeling of fear turning into pure exhilaration in a matter of seconds. I felt so alive, so free, so on top of the world. I never wanted it to stop. It was pure bliss. Then suddenly, the sound of the helicopter above us started getting louder and louder. I couldn't turn my neck properly, so I didn't know what was going on. I asked the instructor, and he yelled at the top of his lungs, It's coming toward us! What is? I asked. He pulled the cord, and the parachute pulled us up. As it did, the helicopter propeller came so close, it sliced my cheek. I was inches away from death. It was a living nightmare. Below us, the helicopter spun out of control towards the ground. I was helpless. 
All I could do was watch it fall and fall until it hit the ground, exploding into a million pieces. I was in too much shock to cry. Hugh was still in that helicopter. His last words spun through my head. It's just the nerves. You'll be fine, he told me. Yes, I was fine, but he wasn't. Then I realized, high in the air, looking down at the wreckage below my feet, that the terrible dream I had wasn't a dream at all. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I guess dreams really do come true, unfortunately. Fortunately for us, though, we have more scary stories right after the break. Our next tale takes the saying, death is all around us, to a whole nother level. Don't fear the reaper, cadavers. Our next story is called Deathbed. My parents passed away when I was little. Too little to remember them. I've lived with Aunt Sandra ever since. Sandra was a grumpy old woman with peculiar rules. She thought I was too carefree and didn't take life seriously. We rarely spoke to one another, and if we did, we were fighting. Sandra and I lived on a farm in a small country town, far away from anything. We picked our own fruits and vegetables and took care of our livestock. One of her quirks was keeping a bucket of salt in every room of the house. One day I asked why she kept so much salt. Her reply, I hope you never have to find out, she said. Such an odd woman. On one sunny day, as I was picking cherries in the yard, I felt a little pinch on my forearm. When I looked down, I saw a fat black spider. On a farm, you see spiders every day. It didn't really bother me, so I just knocked it off and continued picking. That night, as I was helping Sandra do the dishes, I I started to feel a little faint. What's wrong with you now, she asked. I told her a spider bit me, and she told me to stop being such a baby. She'd been bit many times. She turned suddenly, staring at me very seriously, and said, But if anything bad does come from it, I'll take care of it. I didn't know what she meant by that. I was more bothered about how rude she was being. That night, I woke up with a horrendous temperature. My body was shivering and my bones were aching. 
I had never felt so sick in my entire life. When I tried getting out of bed, I realized I was so fatigued I couldn't even move. I used all the energy I had left to scream for help. I heard Aunt Sandra get out of bed. She was walking slowly across the house to my room, taking her time, getting closer but in no rush to save me. As the seconds ticked by, her steps grew louder and I felt worse and worse. I felt as though I was close to death. And then, the door opened. It wasn't Aunt Sandra. It was a tall skeleton in a saggy dark robe, holding a huge, sharp Sith. It was the Grim Reaper himself. I could smell the stench of death coming through his rotting teeth. My body couldn't move. I couldn't speak. All I could do was watch him slowly float towards me. He had come to collect. I knew that my time was up and I couldn't do a thing about it. He hovered over me and asked me in a deep, distant voice, Are you ready? I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs. No! I want to live! But I couldn't. The Reaper raised his deadly Sith to cut me down when the moment was broken. Get away from her. It was Aunt Sandra standing in my room with her bucket. She doused the reaper in a blanket of salt. The robe skeleton vanished all at once, and just as soon, my fever disappeared too. I I wasn't shivering. My bones didn't ache. I couldn't believe it. I was better. I jumped up, ran over to Sandra, and gave her a big hug. Over a nice pot of tea, she told me that I had escaped death just as she did. This was the first time Auntie Sandra and I had a proper conversation. After all these years, we finally started to understand each other. I asked her how she knew the bucket of salt would make death disappear forever. She shook her head and awkwardly chuckled. Death never disappears, she warned. Once he has come to collect, he will never stop trying. We must watch each other's backs for the rest of our lives. Now go fill your salt bucket. One more story, and that means one more break. You want to hear our final tale. It's a devilishly good time. surgery carries some risk. In our next story, the amount of risk is proportionate to how you've lived your life. This next and final tale is called Operation. You know, I sat in a daze listing off my favorite fast food places and beer. I cursed them all because the specialist is telling me I was going to have to have open heart surgery. After a year of searching for a donor, we are lucky enough to finally get a match just in time. My wife, Diane, and our two daughters, Sarah and Michelle, were over the moon. They weren't ready to see me go, and I wasn't about to leave them anytime soon. They would need to keep me at the hospital the day prior to the big surgery to do all the necessary checks. You know, I can't deny it. I was feeling a little nervous knowing that there was a 5% possibility not making it. But the doctors and nurses, they reassured me that everything was going to be fine. And with my beautiful family by my side, my nerves started to calm down. I was certain that everything was going to be okay. After visiting hours were over, Diane and the girls kissed me and they left. 
I was so lucky to have such an incredible supporting family. Pretty soon after that, I fell into a nice, deep, peaceful sleep. I woke from a dead sleep, and there was this figure standing in the doorway. It was a shadow of a teenage boy, not moving at all. I snapped, You lost? But there was no reply. I asked him his name. Again, no reply. After minutes of watching the shadow standing there, not responding, I realized how vulnerable I was. That's when I hit the nurse's call button. The shadow left just as the nurse arrived, and I told her what happened, and she immediately reassured me that there was no boy and it was like a a light in the hallway or something. It's normal for people to see things like that. They're nervous, she told me. You know what? She was right, and I was a little embarrassed. She gave me a little something so it wouldn't be so hard to go back to sleep. I woke up again, and this time to a voice. I looked back up and the shadow of the boy was back. And I asked him what he wanted. This time he said one word. Payback. Goosebumps ran down from my head to my toes, and I was frozen. I tried to laugh it off and played off like I wasn't phased. You know, as saying, payback? What could an old guy like me uh, do to a young kid like you? I didn't get an answer because the shadow wasn't there. I was about to scream for the nurse, but I stopped myself. And I remember what she told me. It's normal to hear things like this. You're nervous, and of course, I should be nervous. I'm getting open heart surgery. So I took a few deep breaths and told myself to stop being such a baby. It actually worked, and I went back to sleep. I woke up the next morning, and my wife and kids were there, along with the doctor and the nurses. And there was nothing to fear. I laughed to myself at the fact that a 55-year-old man was scared of shadows. The procedure was about to begin. The doctor and the nurses spoke amongst themselves as they were walking around the room arranging stuff and double-checking my vitals. The surgeon touched my arm and smiled. You're going to be fine. But over his shoulder, I saw the shadow. I couldn't speak or move. The shadow's hands wrapped around my neck. All I could feel was my soul slowly being ripped from me. Then the shadow's face appeared. It was Jamie. Jamie Brown. This boy I bullied in high school. The boy that ended up hanging himself because of me. His last words were, Now it's your turn to live in hell. I don't have the heart to say it, but our time is up. I hope you've enjoyed our dead time stories about the moments around death. Come visit us again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The eight stories you've just heard were written by Alan Cheng. You'll also find more thrilling stories from Graveyard Shift on Ranker.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and other connected TV apps. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Ari Eastman, Nicole Villela, Benjamin Apple, and Rich Curse, with editing by Andrea Listenberger. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.